Hi, I'm Darcy T. Kelly, and this is Season 2 of Storytime with Darcy. In every episode, you hear a piece of my own short fiction. I'm an eclectic writer, so you may be surprised by the genres and situations. But what these stories have in common is their exploration of big ideas. Happy New Year! I have never been so excited to turn the calendar. 2021 is full of promise and opportunity. We still have a long journey ahead of us, but there is light at the end of this tunnel, which makes it the perfect time to read The Value of a Journey. I'm sure you'll be as happy as I am with the return of Nicholas Ewan, whose involvement has been a gift to Storytime with Darcy. I'd also like to introduce Milena Nazaruk and Killian Branscombe to the pod. Milena is a friend from high school days. She is a very busy woman, balancing an executive career, family life, and a vast collection of friends. I'm very lucky she took the time to share a voice with us today. Killian is my youngest nephew, who you actually heard last month in the choir of voices that closed out the story Grace's Christmas concert. Thank you, all three of you, for joining me in today's story. The Value of a Journey was written for NYC Midnight Short Story Challenge in April 2020. Apparently, I was already wrestling with isolation and the uncertainty that the pandemic left in our future. And I was looking forward to the better future it has given us the opportunity to build. Unless there's no content warnings today, let's jump right in with both feet and see where this adventure will take us. The Value of a Journey by Darcy T. Kelly With a snap of his fingers, the Eternal releases matter in a ripping, screaming explosion. He knows the next moments will separate the weak from the strong. The dazzling display of violence, these moments of earliest existence, involve creation and destruction on a massive scale. The birth and annihilation of immeasurable energies happens within fractions of a moment. The death shroud of one generation recycles into the birth whale of another, billions upon billions of times. One unnamed particle in the chaos does not know to which generation she belongs, unaware of how many millions of ancestors perished for her very existence. But she'll have time to realize that later. Now, escape is her all-consuming occupation. Observing her cling to a passing electron, the Eternal dismisses her as an underachiever, lacking both destination and purpose. Her ride is turbulent. In addition to the searing heat of her unsuspecting travel companion, heat that threatens to break her grip or bind the two forever, there are collisions, sharp turns, and forces tearing her in every direction. And the chaos. Oh, the chaos! With a final compressing blast... She breaks free, and the Eternal groans in exasperation. As she spins, drifting at escape velocity, enjoying a 360-degree view of black nothing, a curious tickle within, but the Electron nowhere within view, the Eternal names her. H. He begins. I expected better. H considers the Eternal's words. Wonders what he'd have preferred her do. H herself is quite proud. She survives when so many perished. While her situation has significantly improved compared to moments ago, H finds the darkness crowded and dangerous. Collisions are frequent and painful. 
She buries the Eternal's criticism within, muffling its hurt. As defense against external pain, H surrounds herself with superficial friends. An atom here, a proton there, building a rock armor, toughening herself against the blows, deflecting each impact with a whispering burst of rock dust and a change of direction, ricocheting here and there, losing pieces of herself and replacing them with others. H eases her way off the battlefield and tends her wounds before reaching toward the distance. There is a universe to discover. In all fairness, in his omniscience, the Eternal knows a couple of things H does not. First, there is no universe to explore. Yet. He provided a blank canvas. It is the purpose of every bit of matter and energy released in the Big Bang to create the masterpiece. Second, H's recent experience, while it was a significant experience indeed, is limited by her youth and is a mere shadow of the pain she will endure from here. He believes she does not have what it will take, that the opportunity for creation has been wasted on her, that one more generation of recycling, in her case, would have made for a more spectacular future universe. With all fairness to H, the Eternal has no idea where her curiosity will lead. Hello? Anyone out there? H shouts into the black. She has journeyed for time immeasurable, more specifically since time began. She craves adventure, new discoveries, new... new anything. The silent expanse is boundless. Her desperate cry, the first sound in the void, still vibrates when something amazing happens. An explosion of light. And with it an explosion of heat, energy, and matter. H turns, amazed at the sight. The first sight in all creation. H believes herself complete in this moment. That the purpose of her life is to witness this event. She is, at once, completely joyful and completely calm. For a moment before she is pummeled with debris and radiation, shorn of her armor, made defenseless by this unexpected attack, stripped to her core, laid naked in light previously unknown. Stop. The Eternal names the light. You are beautiful. The star shines, basking in the admiration. H, visible for the first time, is a stark contrast an ill-shaped lump of dull, muddy maroon. The Eternal turns to her. Faye. He renames her. I expect more. Like a black hole in the back of her mind, the Eternal's words absorb Faye's inner light. To compensate, she bathes in the glow of countless stars, as she celebrates their birth. She greets fellow travelers, invites them to journey with her. Sometimes they travel together, eventually becoming one. Other times, Faye's new friends drift away, lost to vast space. Faye continues to glory as the universe is created, each twinkling corner a new mystery. 
She mourns each supernova, laments the brief life permitted to stars as she is abused by their shrapnel. Heedless of the physical and emotional pain her relative proximity to those explosions causes, Faye wishes she could witness the unique beauty of each star during their short interval. When stars begin to cluster, painting swirls, corkscrews, and discs across the blank canvas, the Eternal names them. Galaxies. He turns to Faye, who interrupts before his words can bite. Father, why do I disappoint you so? Meteor. He renames her. Do you see the miracles created by your brethren? Each more spectacular than the last. Yes, they give me much joy, Meteor responds reverently. And what do you offer in return? I am witness, Meteor tries to explain. For what is the purpose of beauty with no one to appreciate it? Beauty is its own purpose. Confused by her father's perspective, Meteor decides to seek the counsel of a star. Stars are spectacular in her eyes, and the Eternal clearly prefers them to her. She wants to know why they chose their short, stationary lives over the ever-changing, awe-filled life of a traveler. Surprised she hasn't made the acquaintance of a star earlier, Meteor swings around a passing friend and launches herself toward the nearest twinkle, Sol. The first indication of her proximity to Sol is a slight tug. Meteor hasn't felt its like since the day she was born, when, with the help of the electron, she tore herself from the writhing chaos and was released to the universe. The memory is unsettling. She will have to take great care not to become trapped here. Proceeding with caution, Meteor perceives another familiar, yet not quite as distant sensation. A tingling glow on her crust. A memory consumes her, pummels her with debris and radiation, shears off her armor, agonizes her with heat as the first star was born. This suppressed memory, she realizes, is the reason she admires stars from afar. Surely they don't endure that violence after birth, she assumes aloud, comparing it with the brief trauma of her own birth. Meteor is currently quite far from Sol, and, while it is reminiscent of the blazing heat, her current sensation is mild, even pleasant. Pushing her memory aside, swallowing her hesitation, Meteor continues. Oh, pardon me! Meteor hadn't realized this area of space boasted so many fellow travelers. Pardon me! Nor had she realized quite how large she had become. Pardon me. She had always accepted her body for what it is, a vessel through which to experience the universe. Her size, shape, color, and luminosity didn't matter. It need please none but herself, and pleased she is. Turn back while you can! A small rock calls to her as it whizzes by, gone before she can reply. Turn back? She questions aloud. I, I can't do that. I need to speak with Saul. You'll be sorry. Another icy traveler hollers as he too speeds past. 
Meteor continues on, and soon is, in fact, very sorry. For, as the traffic increases, she is unable to avoid collisions. Her mass tears through more than a few comrades, leaving dust and pebbles in her wake. Warmer now, one might even say hot, liquid water forms on Meteor's crest for the first time. She cries at the unintentional but irreverent nonetheless destruction her passage causes. Through a blur of bending light, she observes a swirl of debris ahead, spinning as it coalesces, forming a massive collection of molten rock. Its pull is strong, Meteor's curiosity stronger still, but she resists, concentrating all her kinetic energy on the path ahead, keen to speak with Sol. Struggle as she may, Meteor is caught in the force of the whirl. She is pulled off course, spun until she loses her sense of direction, drawn towards the ravenous maw of the hungry sphere. She screams, straining every atom of her being for one final fruitless effort. Meteor is spent, resigned to her fate, horrified at being devoured when she hears the eternal planet. He names the forming celestial body, then, upon seeing Meteor, interrupts himself. What are you doing here? The Eternal plucks Meteor from her demise. Heedless of the past hurts he's caused, she surrenders to him, limp and wasted. Asteroid. He renames her. I ask again, what are you doing here? I have questions for Sol. Asteroid's voice is weak. The Eternal draws her close to his ear. I want to ask about the meaning of life, the universe, everything. I have answered those questions. Yes, you told me your answer. Even in her weakened, fearful state, Asteroid is true to her nature. I want to know Sol's answer. The Eternal nods, beginning to understand the nature of curiosity. Seeing her somewhat restored, the Eternal gently releases Asteroid. Father, she calls him back. May I ask a favor? What is that, child? Will you please? She gives herself a little nudge without moving a budge. As you wish. With the Eternal's soft exhale, Thea. Asteroid resumes her journey. Under the Eternal's thrust, Thea travels faster than before. She witnesses the formation of more planets, even dances through the ring system of one, without fear of being caught in its orbit. She waves and whoops while gliding through the belt of fellow asteroids, barely hearing them cry, You're going the wrong way! Thea is beginning to fear she will soar right past Sol before they can talk when she sees it. Through her millennia of travel, Thea grew skilled at projecting flight paths. Surprisingly, because no one is quite sure how she does it, she learned to use the gravity of other travelers to steer, turning many collisions into near misses. What she foresees now, at the speed she is traveling, is unavoidable. Her trajectory crosses the orbit of a boiling, newly formed planet, and their timing couldn't be worse. Being the size of a small planet herself, 
the impact will certainly be devastating, perhaps lethal, with no recourse, no way to divert or protect, no time to plan or reflect, Thea smashes into the planet. She sleeps a long time, dreaming of stars and galaxies, constellations and black holes, matter and dark matter, all the things she has witnessed, all the experience life has gifted her. She sleeps for a long time before she wakes. Opening sleepy eyes, yawning contentedly, rocking in a soft embrace, she wakes. Good morning, sleepyhead. The voice is unfamiliar, warm, comforting. It feels like home. Luna. The Eternal bestows her final name. I'd like you to meet Earth. Still awash in the comfort of sleep, Luna mumbles a greeting. The two of you have quite a future ahead. One I never saw coming. This shakes Luna from her stupor. Something the omniscient Eternal doesn't see coming? Yes, my child. I never understood your curiosity. Didn't expect you to explore the universe, ask questions, or defy me so thoroughly. Luna is shocked as the Eternal lists her disappointments. I never once thought your failure to meet my expectations would result in such wondrous creation. Luna and Earth exchange a mystified glance. The Eternal explains. Your partnership has started a cascade of events unique in the universe. The tilt of Earth and the seasons it will create. The lunar tides that will wash across her. The body tides that will shift her land. What you will create, my children, I will name life. Filled with awe and wonder, Luna reflects. That will be a dazzling adventure to witness. When I wrote The Value of a Journey last year, it was based on the scientific history of the universe as I understood it at the time. It was written for a timed competition, so I didn't have a ton of time to invest in researching the details of the Big Bang, the life cycles of elements and stars, how Earth acquired her moon, and so much more. There was one thing, however, that I didn't research, how to pronounce the chemical symbol for iron. So when Nick asked, I went with the experts, my Facebook friends and the internet. <laughs> In my head, when I wrote the story, it was Fay, but my chemist friends tell me to say the letters F-E. That just didn't feel right for the story or for the characters. So I dug deeper and learned that the chemical symbol for iron is pronounced as Fay in the U.S. and U.K., but is the spoken letters in Canada. I almost always default to my local Canadian customs for spellings and such in my writings. Maple Leaf Pride, baby. But this time, because the F-E didn't sound right for my characters' mouths, I went with the U.S. and U.K. for today's reading. 
Thank you, Nicholas, Malena, and Killian for joining me today. Well, that's the first episode of the second season of Storytime with Darcy. I'm so glad you're still listening. If you're new to the pod, go and check out my back catalog. There's some interesting stuff in there. I hope you've enjoyed the stories and the performances. If you have, please keep the pod going by sharing it. Leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, write a review, or give a shout-out on social media to help more people find us. If a friend is looking for something new to listen to, suggest Storytime with Darcy. If an episode makes you think of someone in particular, send it their way. Every time you share, it makes a difference. That's it for today's episode of Storytime with Darcy. If you would like to become a voice in the pod, please reach out. My eclectic stories need a variety of voices, and yours will be a welcome addition. Thank you for listening. To read more of my stories, and perhaps inspire my next one, check out my website, www.darcytkelly.me. That's D-A-R-C-I-E-T-K-E-L-L-Y dot M-E. Or join me on Facebook at Darcy T. Kelly. If you're interested in purchasing a copy of Musings, a collection of short stories, just get in touch through Facebook or, or email. And please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice for future episodes of Storytime with Darcy. Until next month, stay well and keep smiling. <laughs>